bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so glad that you can filter out all the things that we do in our weaknesses and the mistakes we make. And I know how much that you love us, baggage and all. And I just pray if there's somebody here this morning needing a fresh touch or maybe a touch of you for the first time, that you will overwhelm their souls that the pain and the hurt and maybe there's bitterness and anger, it'll just flow out as your presence comes in. So as we go to your word this Thanksgiving day, may we truly have hearts of prayer with thanksgiving and praise. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So today is Thanksgiving, and the last week of our Hearing God series, uh, I have heard people being led through the Hearing God series. Uh, One individual got a new job, got laid off on, I think, a Wednesday, had a new job by Thursday, Friday. Uh, I've heard of an individual that God spoke to, and they apologized to their boss, and it went really well, doesn't always. And I've heard people helping out other people. Sometimes giving cash, sometimes just giving some help, sometimes babysitting, whatever it might be, helping out other people because they're hearing God. This morning I was in my devotional chair. I have a chair in my living room right by the gas fireplace, and I was sitting there reading my Bible, and then I got to the point where um, I thought I better talk to God, so you know, if you've been through hearing God, you know the drill. I, I wrote an A for Anthony, and I said, do I have sin in my life, God? And then I wrote a G in a period. And God said, you need to practice what you preach. And I thought, okay, <laughs> how does that work? And if you didn't know, this morning's message, in the vein of, or in the concept of, God wants to have an intimate relationship with you, The vein or the topic this morning in the message is prayer as praise and thanksgiving. And the whole idea about it is, and you'll catch it in the scripture verses, that when we come to God with praise and thanksgiving, it actually propels us into his presence. So with that in mind, I thought, okay. So I began to write out things I was thankful for. And I began to praise him for what he'd done in my life. And of course, I hope all of us can get this attitude that thank you for saving me, Jesus. Thank you for making me anything good that people see. Thank you for that. Thank you for all the other stuff that isn't so good that you're still working on me. And you're still gracious to me. And it was a good time of practicing what I preach. Again, no one ever hears God perfectly, do they? Anybody claims that they know exactly what God is saying to them, uh, run as far as you can from them. Nobody hears God perfectly. However, listen to this closely to start off this message. The more we get to know his voice, how he thinks, his typical tone, his love, 
and we actually start asking questions, then we get better and better, listen to this, we get better and better at being his sheep, and we recognize his voice. And if you don't recognize some of the scripture teaching in that, read your Bibles. Today I basically have two points. The first point has, I think, nine subpoints, and the second one has a whole bunch. In fact, we're going to go through slowly the first nine subpoints, and the second point, we're just going to rush it over, and I'm going to give you some homework, and uh, maybe we'll have to put some of the lessons online and some verses so you can maybe go back and look them up and see them. But we basically will just have a two-point sermon that's really long. And uh, this is the last of the hearing God, so I promise sermons will get back to the 30 minutes. But my first question that I wanted to start out this morning in the, in the whole idea of thanksgiving and praise and prayer is, why should we praise God? Why should we praise God? Now, every one of you probably has some answers, but this is where a bunch of my sub-points come in. The first reason why we should praise God is because he is a great God who is worthy of our praise. Psalm 92.6, listen to this. I mean 96.2. Sing to the Lord and praise his name. Okay, you got that part. Practice what you preach. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Okay, told you that, I did that. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. In that psalm, in Psalm 96, the psalmist cites several reasons why the Lord is praiseworthy. The Lord is worthy of praise because of his marvelous deeds among all the people. And I don't know if we do that enough. We used to have Sunday night services where we would stand around and we would stand up and we would say what God had done for us this week. We heard Colette say a story. I think sometimes when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, when our life seems like God isn't in control, when our life seems like it's off the rails, it's good to hear from others. And I have said this before, and I'll say it again. If you journal it all or you write things down, and <clears throat> through this whole church renewal thing, uh, I've had to go to my wife who journals, and I said, can you look in your journal, and can you remind me of the verses that led us at this point and that point and this point? And unfortunately, sometimes it's not written down. But it is a good thing to record what God has done. Because when you're going through tough times, you need to look back, and then you can trust, and then you can have praise and thanksgiving. He is worthy because he's not just an idol, like all the other gods. He's real and above all gods. He made the heavens. Have you ever comprehended that? He made the heavens. Psalm 103 lists more reasons why the Lord is worthy of praise. Listen to these words. Praise the Lord, O my soul. <clears throat> All my inmost being, praise his holy name. 
Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Jumping down to verse eight. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, oh amen, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us, for as, treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Friends, he forgives our sins. He heals our diseases. He redeems us from our life in the pit. He crowns our life with love and compassion. He satisfies our desires with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. And friends, he is slow to anger. Last Sunday we looked at how truth can set us free. Studying the Bible, we often get a different picture of who God is, don't we? And what I mean, not from each other, but we get a different picture of God from what we thought or who we thought God was. In my opening statement, I stated that we sometimes take a long time to discover and hear his voice. Sometimes we don't know what he would actually say. And did you know the scriptures are really clear? What does the devil do differently from God? God will convict which the scripture says leads to repentance, which leads to life, what the devil does is he condemns. God convicts with love, with caring, with the plan out. The devil condemns. <coughs> the devil will say, you're useless, you're horrible, you're awful, you should kill yourself, you should get rid of your life, you should walk away, you should give up, you should stop being anybody decent. But when God convicts, it's with love and drawing and repentance and life. The tone, the voice, it's completely different. And when we study the scriptures, we start to understand who God's, God is. And when those voices are coming into our mind, whether it's our own voice, whether it's the world's thoughts and ideas, whether it's the devil, or whether it's God, you begin to recognize because you're his sheep, and the sheep will recognize their master's voice. I remember my very first pastor. His name was John Clausen. He was in Fort St. John. And Sunday after Sunday, I heard him preach. And he was so, from my little teenage years experience, he was so, I guess the best words I'd say, like I thought Jesus was like. Honestly, he was kind of far off to me. I, I didn't really know him on a personal level. I, I, I don't know if I even had talked to him in the foyer. I mean, I was just a 16-year-old kid, and why would he want to talk to me, I thought. And then I remember when I was about 17, the church decided to do this baseball game thing. And I went to the baseball game, and there's John Clausen, who had always seen in a three-piece suit, looking very um, professional, and here he shows up at this baseball game wearing jeans and sneakers. I, I honestly, I was kind of taken aback. I was kind of super disappointed. But on the other side, I was kind of intrigued and thrilled. And I remember going up to him and I actually talked to him. 
Jesus became flesh. Or as the scripture describes it, he became human too. Did you know that he can relate to you and he loves you? He isn't far off. He's close and he wants to. Yes, he will convict you of sin, but it, it leads to life. It, it sets you free. The bondage and the chains that you have, are, 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 they literally start to fall off. In my own devotions this morning, I, I'm reading in the scriptures and it's describing how the Holy Spirit comes to you. Uh, the veil is taken away and, and, and you start to be able to see things for what they are. And, and in that presence and in that, that seeing things, the Holy Spirit shows up. So why should we praise God, number two? Because praise is befitting sacrifice to give to the Lord. Because praise is a befitting sacrifice to give to the Lord. There are a variety of sacrifices we can offer to God, all of which, which are acceptable and pleasing to him. One is a broken and contrite heart. It's a biblical verse. Another is doing what is upright and just. Another one is obedience. Another one is offering our bodies as living sacrifices. And another sacrifice of praise would be just to be giving, giving to others, giving to the church, giving of our time. Which is exactly what Samuel was getting at when he said in 1 Samuel 15, 22, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Another, another offering that the scripture speaks much about is the sacrifice of offering of praise. Because of who he is and what he has done, God prescribes that we offer our praises as a sacrifice to him. Psalm 50 says, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Psalm 50, 23, a few verses later says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me to one who orders his way rightly. I will show the salvation of God. Are you seeing a little bit of a glimpse into what thanksgiving and praise does? When we come to God in that posture of thanksgiving and praise, when we start to recognize who he is, it literally removes the veil, the curtains, and we begin to see him for who he is, and we enter into his presence. Hebrews 13, 15 says this. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that confess his name. As part of his definition of the sin of mankind in Romans 1, Paul says, Romans 1.21 says, for although they knew God, oh, I hope this doesn't describe us, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. The verb trans translated glorified means to give God the glory due him. In the first part of the verse, Paul clearly has in mind the total homage of a life of obedience, service, and worship. Thanksgiving is the second half of the verse and is one particular aspect of his glorification of God. Men and women experiencing God's good providence in every area of life ought to have 
recognized their indebtedness to his goodness and generosity and to have recognized him as the source of all good things they enjoyed. Read the book of James. You'll see that in there. Friends, this is the duty of mankind. Upon entering a village one day, Jesus encountered ten lepers who cried to him for mercy, and Jesus told them to go and show themselves to the priest. As they went, they were cleansed. One of them turned back and fell on his face before Jesus to offer loud praise and thanksgiving. This one, if you didn't know, was a Samaritan. The others evidently, doesn't necessarily say, but it implies they were Jews. Jesus then asked this Samaritan, weren't there ten cleansed? Where then are the other nine? Has only this foreigner returned to give thanks? How disrespectful, eh? And ungrateful for us to receive from the Lord, but to neglect in giving wholehearted thanks to God. One of the things that my personality has always been wired for is to help people. But let me ask you, have you ever helped someone? Maybe they didn't even know you helped them. Uh, maybe you put some cash in their mailbox or something, and then you hear later that they start to brag about how they pulled themselves out of their difficulties, how they were able to sacrifice and pay off their debts, or they were able to come up with some money, and you sit there and go, that's pretty ungrateful. I mean, you were hoping praise to go to God, not to yourself, but you hear the way the people talk, and you go, that is so ungrateful. So why should we praise God? Number three, because through praise we come into and experience God's presence. While offering thanksgiving to God for his goodness to us would be worthwhile in and of itself, God has designed that in it there is a benefit for us as well, thereby revealing just how good he really is. A key way that we do that is by bringing him a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Psalm 100 says, and you guys sing this song all the time, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Friends, when we bring our offering to the gates of his dwelling, he doesn't just tell us to drop off our sacrifices there at a closed gate so that he can collect them later. No, instead he tells us that when we come into his gates with thanksgiving, with sacrifices of praise for him, that the gates open up and we come right into his presence. There we experience him. Uh, we get to see him in jeans and a pair of sneakers. In the Hearing God seminar, we emphasize the importance of hearing God's voice or words, which among other things gives us life. So true. However, his presence does the same thing. Psalm 16 says it this way. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Come into God's presence through thanksgiving, adoration, and worship. And you will experience him in such a way that you will be filled with, listen to this, life. What does the world say you have to do to get life? And I'll be blunt and honest, the world's ways, and I've had lots of good things in this world, they're a mile wide and an inch deep. God wants to give you life that goes deep into your soul that satisfies. 
a few weeks ago, I spoke to someone new to the church, and I said, so what did you think about it? And they said to me, I couldn't stop crying. I said, during the worship, yeah, but, but during the sermon, I just cried and cried. I couldn't stop. I mean, as a pastor, I could pat myself on the back, but I know too well that that has nothing to do with me. Somebody is coming into his presence. They're hearing his words, his truth. And they come here with a heart, ready to enter into his presence. They come to the service with thanksgiving. So why should we praise God, number four? Because we experience the joy of the Lord and peace through praise. Paul, the writer of the book of Philippians, explains it this way. Oh, here it comes. Do not be anxious about anything. We've heard this verse. I've memorized it. But in everything, by prayer and petition, and we could cut out this next part, but listen to it, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Are you hearing it? If you don't want to have anxiety in your heart, go to God with all the stuff that's freaking you out, with thanksgiving, and then verse seven, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. <coughs> when we are anxious by the challenges of this life, Paul predictably reminds us to turn to God with our requests by prayer and petition. However, he explains to us that by including thanksgiving, it propels us into God's peace. And the context reveals that there is a benefit given to the one who prays. We get peace. Now I'm skipping a lot of verses that point to this. But just in case you think this is a one-off explanation, 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Think about it for a moment. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. God is God. He's in his rightful place in their hearts. They walk with him in the evening just to soak up his wisdom and his love and his presence. And then all of a sudden there's an abrupt heart change. And Adam and Eve start thinking they are as good as God and can do things like God, in fact, maybe even better than God, and so they eat it of a tree that they were told not to eat. Doesn't matter what the tree represents, but what happened is there was a heart chain, there was a rebellious change. God is no longer God. So when we come to Christ, when we come to faith, when the veil is taken away, when God brings you into his presence, there is a change. And we need to go into his presence often. We need to let him be God. We need to give thanks in all circumstances. Please hear this. When you're overwhelmed with crippling anxiety over circumstances that threaten to drown you, we're exhorted to present our requests with thanksgiving. And God promises that our hearts and minds will be filled with God's peace. And anxiety and worry will be replaced with joy great joy and great hope. So why should we praise God, number five? Because praise increases our faith 
to pray, unex- to pray expectantly. Nehemiah 8 says, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Isaiah 40 said, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stubble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So why should we praise God? Number six. Because, oh, and I love this one, praise is a spiritual weapon against the dark forces of evil. Did you know Satan likes to kick you when you're down? When you're feeling the most at loss, when you're feeling like you just are a complete and total failure, Satan will come and just twist the knife. He'll whisper lies. He'll want to put you to a point of despair. The Bible has much to say about praise defeating and driving back the powers of darkness. Jehoshaphat and his enemies in 2 Chronicles 20 recounts the story of Jehoshaphat who was facing the invading forces of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Munanites. Judah assembled to seek the help of the Lord in prayer. In prayer, Jehoshaphat says to the Lord that they are helpless against such a horde, but that all their eyes but that all of their eyes on him, the Lord. The Lord responded, telling them not to be afraid. Then the Lord added that they were to go out against their enemy, but that the Lord would fight the battle for them. I love what happened next. Instead of sending out soldiers with swords and spears against them, look what happened. Second Chronicles 20, 21 says, After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And they went out at the head of the armor saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And I know even as staff we talked about this and Caleb, our worship pastor was saying, in other words, we're in battle and you send me out singing in the front. How would you like that? As they began to sing praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. All the armies were completely destroyed by the Lord and they left behind a great spoil for Israel to take. What had happened? As Israel's prayer warriors raised their voices to God in praise, angels were sent to defeat a physical foe. The physical enemy was defeated because the unseen enemies were scattered by the power of praise. Praise isn't merely a nice way to begin a meeting. It's not a warm-up or a filler till everyone arrives for the main part of the service, the the message. That isn't at all what the praise is. I want to give a warning. If praise is just something we do mechanically, it's meaningless. If you show up here and you just go through the motions, good luck. Biblical praise drives back the powers of darkness. It releases the angels of God to do battle on our behalf and brings God's awesome presence into each situation. Psalm 149 says, let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. Do you see the imagery of praise and thanksgiving? You come into God's presence. You defeat the demonic armies. It's unbelievable. 
Point number two, so we've gone through point number one. Now point number two, I have subpoints, but we're running out of time, so I just gotta rush through it. This is your homework stuff. You can write down the points and write down the scripture references and look them out. So how should we praise God? Not just why should we praise God, but how should we praise God? Number one, with our whole heart. With our whole heart. Psalm 9-1 says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Number two, how do we praise God? We speak, shout, or sing the praise prayer. We may speak prayer praises to God, but the songs reveal other prominent features of praise prayer. And one is, and we do it, singing. Psalm 147 says, praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. So number three, how do we praise God? There's another element to entering God's presence, and that is our posture. And I know a lot of churches actually have uh, little kneeling boards on the pews. And I, I actually was, I thought about trying it out here, and then I remembered how bad my knees are and stuff. And, but one of the postures, and this really is helpful, by the way. I, I, if you notice often, because standing up after being in that motorbike accident, sore back, I, I sit in the front and I try to build up energy so I can stand up here and praise. And so this morning I'm sitting on the front pew and all of a sudden the words of God that he spoke to me this morning, practice what you preach. So I stood up eventually and then I raised my hands. Oh, I should also tell you a little tidbit. I was raised by a German and I'm not gonna say that all Germans are, are kind of reserved and uh, not demonstrative at all, but my dad was that way for sure. In fact, if you ever had a swelled head, he'd let you know real quick. If you ever thought you were something incredible, he would let you know. And so that was my upbringing. Now complicate this, my last name's Bulmer, it's English. What are the English known for? The stiff upper lip. And again, there are lots of exceptions to rule. There's charismatic Pentecostal Germans and English people. But this is who I am. This is my wiring. This is my DNA. This is how I was raised. So for God to say to me, stand up. Lift up your arms. Oh, it reminds me of a story I was attending. I don't know if I should even say what kind of church it was. I was attending a church, and I'd just become a member. <coughs> it was in the Okanagan. And uh, one service, and, and I was a young man. I think I was 18, 19 then. And I had just come under the conviction that when a song says, we lift our hands before it's heaven, that I should actually do it or else I'm not going through the motions right. So I remember I lifted my hands before heaven. And I found out a little later that right after the meeting, the uh, deacons board held a special meeting. They were very concerned with this guy that was raising his hands in their church. And uh, they had the youth pastor come and talk to me because I had been working with him with the youth. And they were very concerned that I was bringing something radical into the church. And if they only knew, I was English raised by a German and it just will killed me to do that. <laughs> but I want to tell you, Psalm 95.6 says that we should be kneeling. Uh, Psalm 134.2 and Psalm 141.2 says, we should raise our hands in praise to God. Oh, here you're gonna get it, a really bad one. Uh, Samuel, 2 Samuel 6.14, David danced before the Lord. Do you remember his wife's reaction? Oh, I, I have heard sermons on that that doesn't really mean what it says. Must have been by a German or an Englishman because... 
but David danced for the Lord. And, and, and so right, right as I was in the front pew, I started thinking about the sermon. And I looked at the band and I thought, is anybody swaying or moving at all? And, and way over here, Pastor Caleb, he won the prize today because he was actually, he was actually moving a little bit. And I thought, okay, he's kind of dancing before the Lord. Good on you. And uh, some of the other ones uh, on the front, they were moving a little bit. I think they're all Germans and Englishmen too, so they were struggling. So with our tongue we speak. We sing and even shout forth praises to God. With our bodies we praise him through kneeling, bowing, and dancing, acknowledging through these actions who he is and who we are. Or maybe even more importantly, who we are not. And with our lifted hands, we signify that we are consciously offering up our praise as an offering of love, adoration, and humility to the one we really know to be worthy. When it comes out of noble and loving hearts, these gestures come almost automatically, and it happens. Now, I remember I struggled with this for so long, this raising hand stuff, and honestly, the thought that went, are you trying to show all the people in the church that you're super spiritual? How dare you put your hands down? Where do you think that was coming from? And finally, God said to me, don't worry about what other people are thinking. You're in my presence. Show it. You're giving thanksgiving and praise. Show it. And I can tell you, this English-German-raised guy, I still struggle with it, but I can tell you that when I have the posture, it starts to pull my heartstrings up when I lift my hands up, and it draws me into his presence. And number four, how do we do this? By adoring or praising him for his attributes. I thought... What are his attributes again? I learned that in college. And I don't have time in the sermon this morning. I'm over, already over time, but I just did a quick Google search. Oh, by the way, uh, last Sunday when I was talking about uh, Hey Google, a bunch of people's phones lit up. <laughs> and some of them even said, uh, how can I help you? <laughs> so I'm going to get all your phones at you. Hey Google, hey Google, everybody's phones go. So I did a Google search. And I just did the Google search and I asked the question, what are God's attributes? And of course, you gotta be careful what websites you go to, but I saw Navigators was one of the hits. Navigators, good company, good organization, good parachurch. And they had a whole list of God's attributes. And so I spent a few moments reading his attributes. Let me close with just one story and then a conclusion. In high school, I inherited some money. Now, if you don't know, my, grand, my, my dad died when I was a year and a half years old, and then my grandfather died um, when I was about 12. So between those two, because my dad had died, I inherited what my grandfather, it wasn't a lot of money, but I was in grade 12, and my birthday was in February, so I turned 18 then, so I got to get this money then. And uh, I went out and bought myself a car. It was a 1976 Toyota Celica. I still remember it was green. It kind of looked sporty and fast. It was slow as molasses, though. It really was terrible. And I remember driving it to school, and then I bought myself a cheap motorbike. 
And I remember catching myself on a number of occasions in circles of friends talking about, oh, those poor people that have to walk to school. Oh, those poor people, if they could just get their lives and acts together. And they could be like me with my nice bright green Toyota Sleek. I used to, there was a song on the radio back in the day, the boys in their bright white sports cars. And I used to sing the boys in their bright green sports cars because mine was green. I was so proud of my car. And even then I was hearing God's voice and God said, you are the most ungrateful, arrogant person around. Stop it. Friends, the very fact that you were born in Canada, and you go, well, it's not my fault, and I've done the best I could. Well, yeah, you have. You work hard. Good for you. Did you know there's places like where Colette where it lives? What's the unemployment rate there, Colette? 60? 60%. Get a job there. And what's a daily wage average about? A dollar fifty a day. Now they don't have to heat their houses like we do, but a dollar fifty. So you can imagine, because I was there, and food's a little cheaper, you know. But but the only thing, I mean, all cultures have ways where they like to express that they've got it together. And in Guinea, I remember, if you had it together, you had one really good set of clothing, and you had a cell phone. Then you had arrived. You were rich. Well, what do we do when we have it together? Are we grateful? Are we thankful? Did God drop an envelope of money at your mailbox? Or did you inherit something and you've got an arrogant attitude? Or your parents put you through school and, oh, by the way, I put myself completely through school on my own. It took me 10 years, actually. It was during the 80s and things were tough. I could, I am so incredible. I'm not. School was so much cheaper then. And I could look down on kids and why don't you go to Bible school? Well, it's so expensive. Unless you go to PRBI, they're still reasonable. My hat's off to PRBI. But shame on us for ungrateful and our even arrogant hearts. It's Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving draws us into the presence of God. Here's my conclusion. Changing our church worship culture is not about the quality of the band or the music that we sing or the temple or the loudness. Sometimes pastors will attempt to improve their worship experience, i.e. the singing, in their services by improving the band or by using lights and audio effects. And there was smoke here earlier, I saw it. While it's always appropriate to give our best to God, and I don't wish to minimize this, This is not what really affects the worship experience for the congregation. What really affects the worship experience is when God shows up. And the way to do that is to change the people in their own personal lives. If people truly worship God in their personal lives, then when they come together, they will bring God with them, multiplying the accompanying effects of his presence, the experience of his presence among his gathered people. It will be palpable. No amount of cajoling to God, some pastors' prayers, and no amount of tech savviness can manufacture that in the church service. 
Friends, where's your heart? Number two in my conclusion, our greatest emphasis must be on individuals walking in praise and thanksgiving in God's presence throughout the week. You want to have good praise and worship next Sunday? Start by giving God praise and worship throughout the week. We need to place our greatest emphasis on training people how to come into God's presence through praise and thanksgiving. At home, at work, and even in the secret place. As we close this service with the final song, as I, as I pray, pay attention to the song a little bit. I looked up the words this week. It talks about God's love. It talks about how he's with us even through the winter rains. I mean, process. Don't just let the words become rote, something that you just sing. Oh, and we, we sang that one song, the worship team, earlier on. I didn't know it. And I just kind of sat there with my hands up. I was trying to pay attention to myself and my heart because I want to think it through. This is, I'm struggling like everybody else struggles. Oh, and then the next song, Amazing Grace, little different rendition, but I, oh, now I can praise him. No, I just was rote. It was just familiar. So as we sing this last song, pay attention to the words. God wants to connect with you. And it starts with a heart of thanksgiving and praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close this service, God, this is Thanksgiving Day. This is the day we set aside to say that we are thankful. And even in the pit of despair, even when everything is lost, there is still praise to be had. For though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they're with me. As I give you praise and thanksgiving, I go into your presence. Your gates open up. I don't need to drop it off at the gate. Your gates open up and you invite me in and you ask me to sit down and dine with you. <laughs> You've literally got your casual clothes on. You, you want to speak truth into my soul. You want to give me peace that passeth all understanding. You want to shed me of my anxieties and my worry. You want to speak truth and life into my heart. And so God, as we go about this week, this year, this decade, God, would you change our rebellious hearts? Our hearts that are always trying to feel better through things that we try to pretend that we have accomplished. And I know, God, when I read stuff on the internet talking about white privilege, I get as indignant as everyone else. But there's some truth, God. We live in a country that's abundant. We've had parents that have been so helpful to us. We've had institutions and, and schools that are fairly reasonable to go to. We get our government that lends us money. Oh, God, we get so much privilege. And then we pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, good, good job, Anthony. Oh, change that heart of arrogance. Change my heart of arrogance to a heart of praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.